0: you are listening to an infusion of nerd enlightenment you are now entering the power bomb nation
1: Right, ladies and gentlemen of the nerd asylum network it is the bluegrass ghostbusters here and we have a very special guest today new york times best-selling author andrew schaefer andrew how's it going my man
0: it is going great how are you doing
1: oh not too bad thank you so much for taking the time out to uh, to join us here in the asylum Uh, those of you who are not familiar with Andrew he is an author he has wrote many books uh, among two of them that were just released this past week of course the main reason we have him here on bluegrass Ghostbusters is for ghosts of our past which uh, ties in directly to the movie and he also had day of the Donald which also released this week so we'll talk a little bit about that as well Uh, Andrew how long have you been a writer
0: I've been a writer uh, since I was a kid. Um, You know, it's it's kind of a difficult question to answer because I, I started writing as you know as soon as I started being able to read. It was sort of the first natural thing I thought to do, which was to write my own stories. And I think when you're that age, everybody writes their own stories. You play with action figures and whatnot, and. But I was, you know, I was writing them down very early on, and I, I could also draw, too. So I was illustrating my own little comic books and stuff in grade school. And eventually, uh, you kind of have to choose whether you want to do art or whether you want to do writing. It's very very difficult to sort of, you know, nurture two different talents there. And I chose the, the writing career, and so I went to school for it, uh, to the University of Iowa, to the writer's workshop at Iowa. and. Uh, after a few years of not getting anything published, because I wasn't that good, <laughs> uh, I, I just got better, a little bit better every year, and finally started publishing books uh, about five or six years ago.
1: Awesome. So now, now what was your first book that you had published?
0: It was a nonfiction book called Great Philosophers Who Failed at Love. A look at the love lives of philosophers. Uh, they were quite disastrous, and, and it was just a, like a, supposed to be like a little humor, humorous gift book, and it ended up being uh, quite a bit longer than expected, and it's, it's a fun little book. Now, I didn't know anything about philosophers before I started to write it, but that, that didn't stop me.
1: Right on. Now, uh, you've also wrote, there was uh, Fifty Shades of Earl Grey.
0: Yeah, Fifty Shames of Earl Grey was uh, was a parody of the Fifty Shades of Grey books, uh which I believe were also a parody of Twilight. <laughs> and And yeah, that that book came about uh, very quickly. I just started to write a parody of Fifty Shades of Grey on my blog, right? This was around the time Fifty Shades of Grey started to become big, and I had publishers contact me and say, hey, would you like to put this out? And I'd always wanted to write a novel. Up to that point, I'd only written nonfiction books. And so I said, absolutely, Um, you know, that was kind of what I wanted to do, was write stuff that was fictional, because I like to make stuff up.
1: Right on. Now, uh, you also wrote a, a tie-in for the Sharknado movies, How to Survive a, a Sharknado and, and Other Natural Disasters. Uh, that is available for everybody to pick up and read. Tell us a little bit about that.
0: Um, Sharknado was an interesting book because, because it actually appears in the movie Sharknado 2, and it is written by a Tara Reed's character, April. And they wanted to have a real-life tie into to the movie, and that was something they hired me to do. And I watched like 40 different sci-fi channel movies over the course of a month, which is quite a marathon. Um, so I don't know if that's something I'd recommend, you know, your listeners do, but it was, uh, it was something that I, I was able to survive, and, and it, was, uh, it was a lot of fun to work on it, uh, just because I was a fan of the first Sharknado, and I really did like a lot of sci-fi channel movies, Ghost Shark, Um there's some uh, really really great tastic films out there. And so the book sort of covers all of that uh, in in one guide and sort of ties it all together into the sci-fi channel uh, cinematic universe, if you will.
1: So now how were you, <clears throat> when you were approached, how, how did you get approached for the Sharknado book?
0: Uh, you know, my agent got a hold of me and said, hey, um, do you have any interest in, in doing a book based on, sharknado and at first i was like you know is this like a movie novelization or what and but really uh, the publisher wanted somebody who could do the humor which i'd done with 50 shames of earl grey but also do the research and make it a believable book so a lot of the stuff in there i actually put in the research like i would do with my nonfiction books so i i really tried to figure out you know how do you survive a shark you know how do do sharks survive in a tornado you know so there were a lot of questions that I tried to answer and try to do it in a really realistic way and that was sort of where the humor came into that book
1: awesome awesome now of course the the 28th was a big day for you uh we're just a few days past and you had ghosts from our past which was released which we'll get into momentarily but your other book that you had released which great cover by the way was uh day of the donald how trump trumped america uh i have not gotten to read the book but definitely after reading ghosts ghost from our past i'm going back i want to get your entire collection because uh i really really enjoyed the book so I will be picking up your other ones. The experts from the uh, or the excerpts from the Donald Trump book are absolutely hilarious uh, going into his presidential orders and everything. T- tell us about what what that book's all about and and how you got the idea to to come up with this one.
0: Well, it was several months ago, and it didn't look like Donald Trump was really going to be the nominee at that time. And I just was thinking, you know, that it it would be really great if he was not, you know, necessarily for our country, but just in terms of you know, entertainment value. And you think of just, you know, I think a lot of other people, a lot of primary voters, had the same idea. Uh, this would. This is an entertaining guy. You know, he's sort of punk rock almost out there. You don't know what he's gonna do or say next. And you just have these wild ideas of, you know, if he gets into the White House it's gonna it's gonna paint it gold or something. And and I just started to think about this guy could be a really great character in a thriller you know he's a james bond villain almost um you know with that that perfect hair so uh, it, it was it was just an idea of what do we do what if this was a character in a thriller and i threw him in there and had a character that was investigating it uh by the name of jimmy burnwood who was a disgraced tabloid reporter uh who in my book had Leaked out a Ted Cruz sex tape, um, which uh, no spoilers, but uh, it goes into a little bit of detail about that in the book. Um, so, it, uh, on some on some level, the book is is. A little terrifying, I think, but,
1: uh, it's, Any, it's, also anything funny. involving Ted Cruz and a sex tape is extremely terrifying. So
0: <laughs> it's, it's like, it's like, what are the four most disturbing words in the English language? And that's Ted Cruz sex tape. <laughs> yeah. So I threw, I threw Ted, uh, Ted Cruz is in there. Um, he is actually, uh, the Zodiac killer. He's in prison. Uh, for committing uh, serial murders, but it, you know it's 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 a really it's also a really fun book though. And with all the stuff that's going on in the world, it, I think you need to take a step back and laugh at some of this stuff because otherwise, you can you could be angry from now until the election. You know, no matter what side you're on. But I, I really do. I roast everybody, you know, including Hillary, uh, in the book.
1: All right, so everybody needs to definitely get out there and pick that one up it should be a great read um, so now before we get into to ghosts of our past let, let's talk about your past a little bit i know you're a big ghostbusters fan uh we're relatively the same age so i know this was probably a big influential movie on your life as as ghostbusters were for all of us who grew up in the 80s uh how far back does your fandom go
0: uh, to the movie's release um, it, it's, it's funny The movie that stood out for me In my memory that summer Was Gremlins uh, In 1984 simply because It was playing at the Cheap Theater And I saw it over and over And over <laughs> It was like uh, it, That was probably because Ghostbusters Was still playing uh, The first run So I think Ghostbusters stayed number one for something like Seven weeks It was crazy Uh, so I I, I went to see Ghostbusters in the theater but I also saw Gremlins many times now that's sort of just what my memory is but I recently found a couple of uh, stories that I'd written around that time I think I was in uh, the next year when I was in first grade and first or second grade and I wrote a um, a sequel to Ghostbusters called Ghostbusters 2 and not surprisingly, I copied pretty much everything from the movie Ghostbusters One. <laughs> so, so it was uh, it was not my best work, but it, but it was it was something that you know one of the very first things that I could find that I actually wrote and illustrated a little Stay Puff Marshmallow Man attacking the city. Um, so yeah, I, I even used the same, <laughs> same big bad villain. Um, I didn't, uh, I, I didn't, I didn't really uh, take it any further than that. But uh, I also wrote a couple of other stories about ghosts around the same time, and I wanted to be a Ghostbuster. I didn't have the Proton Pack though, uh, but I did have the animated series toys a couple of years later, and I, I know the animated series was. A, you know, really stood out in my mind simply because that was again what those were the toys that I played with. So, in my mind, for a long time, the Ghostbusters had the different colored uniforms, and Slimer was kind of a little more cartoonish character. So, it was, it was a really, uh, yeah, uh, you know, I've just been been there all along. Now, what I had was a Ghostbusters training manual. I don't know if you remember this, but it was a little, maybe twenty page book that came with stickers. It was primarily a sticker book, and at the time I was, I even felt that I was a little too old for it. But it was the only thing you could get unless you wanted to pick up the role playing game uh, with. I think they had like a Tobin Spear Guide role playing game uh, right. book but yeah it was really the only thing you could get besides again the movie novelizations too but that was all that was out there and i said you know i want like a i want to see what an in-depth ghost busting guide is like that's in this universe and then that never happened really and it was it was a little disappointing for me um, and I was said you know that's one thing I'd like to put out there someday and I was you know I was thinking this even at a very young age I was like that's what I want to see that's what I want to see so you know flash forward uh, 30 years later when I get the opportunity to do this book and it's it's really sort of a realization of something I wanted to see happen a long time ago And I was like this is for you know this is for kids that were like me that were like uh, I want something that's not just for kids I want something you know that's it's a little challenging for a kid to read but that that feels real
1: right so now uh, you know legos speaking of not having you know all the equipment and everything when we were growing up you could make a pretty mean pke meter out of legos uh that was my main go-to back in the day
0: Really? Wow. That's, that's I I I was not that talented.
1: <laughs> so now, um, now did this with the first Ghostbusters movie? Did that spark an interest, like a actual interest in the paranormal?
0: Uh, it's it's funny that I I did I was interested in the paranormal and I had an open mind about it. But I knew really deep down that I didn't quite believe and that only got stronger over time as i uh, became an agnostic when i uh, grew up and and really you know sort of did believe in a lot of religious stuff and that included then spiritualism and and the paranormal and so i'm, I'm a skeptic my bar is very high for that now i think that you know the paranormal and ghosts are are very interesting and and it's something in pop culture that i love uh, i love horror movies um and it, it, but it but you know but it wasn't something that really sparked oh uh, th- you know these are real i can you know go hunt them down so um, you know and i know a lot of people that it did spark a real interest in that uh, which is very which is very cool and i think that it, it you know it but in me, in me personally, it was just a, a very different sort of uh, interest.
1: Right on. Now, of course, you know, be, being a Ghostbuster is not only about believing in the paranormal, it's just as much about being a skeptic and, and disproving. Um, which brings me, you had to do a lot of research for this book. I'm, I'm positive on how much... That seem to be taken. You you hit two or three times in there about reality shows being on TV and uh, uh, things mm-hmm. like that. Did you watch a lot of these paranormal shows uh, before delving in to write this book, uh, just like you did the sci-fi movies?
0: Yeah, I actually I watched I watched a couple of different shows. I don't remember the names, but there's just not a lot of. Um, there's not a lot of hard you know evidence or science or anything behind those shows uh, you know they're they're hunting in the dark for no reason other than it looks spooky and cool it seems and you know while it does look cool in the, the you know the night vision it you know, flip on the lights. I don't think the ghost is going to be scared away by a little <laughs> bit of light. You know, so it was it was something that that I did a little bit of that, but most of the research that I had to do was in books, uh, and it wasn't just paranormal books; it was science books because uh, Paul Feig was very adamant about this being a scientifically grounded. Because Aaron Gilbert and Abby Yates and Holtzman are all uh, you know, very uh grounded scientists and abby's a little believer in the paranormal Erin, uh although she had a, a childhood experience has come to you know see it as something that that she doesn't quite believe in anymore um you know when we get to the the point of the movie so it's uh you know it was a huge stack of stuff that i had i was so i was reading from one stack paranormal to the other stack science and i had to try to figure out a way to connect those two worlds and that was probably the most difficult part because the the more you know granular you get with the science you go oh well there's just no way you know and then you try to look at it from the paranormal point of view and it just gets more vague and more vague and it's it's it it was it was really difficult to connect the two but uh i hope hopefully did it in a believable way
1: I I think you absolutely did. You get into some parts of this when you started getting into uh, quantum physics and quantum mechanics and black holes and black matter and dark matter. Uh, And all of a lot of that stuff is is unproven to this day in science as well. But uh, Mm -hmm. phenomenal job. Um, Intertwining it. The more I got into it, you know, I got I read I read the book in two days while I should have been working. Uh, (laughs) However, I just got so engrossed in the book and, you know, it, it was everything I could do to keep from picking it up you know on my drive home or staying up too late at night to finish it and uh i was just fascinated not just in the style of writing you have but but the amount of research that had to go in because a lot of the things that you were you know you were pointing out in history or specific uh you know cthulhu or willow Wisps and certain entities so to speak of and then going into stephen hawking and, and all some of his theories uh had to be very in-depth and and i couldn't imagine the brain power it took to keep that all together and then intertwine them in the book while you're writing it it was absolutely an amazing job
0: so now, yeah thank you um
1: when were you approached by the book did, did paul feed contact your agent or did ghost corpse contact you how did that all come about
0: it it was a, a couple of years ago Um, After I had finished the Sharknado book, my editor at Random House asked me if there were any other uh, pop culture books I wanted to work on. And I said, yeah, I want to do a Ghostbusters book. Uh, I want to put out a a real Tobin spirit guide. And he looked into, you know, the rights with that. and, And it was like, well, you know, we just passed the 30th anniversary, so the franchise there's no plans for a new movie the franchise is kind of dead you know it's it's just not gonna work out and then about a year later um which was uh, last summer uh, my editor contacted me and said hey i just found out they are doing a new movie and you know not only that um you know, there there might be an opportunity to do a book that ties into it. And it was at that point that we found out that they were doing a Tobin Spirit Guide with Insight Editions, uh, which is the one that Eric Burnham uh, wrote and Kyle Hotz Illustrated, which is an amazing, amazing book. And uh, they said, you know, we've got this other book, though, that we want to do that actually appears on screen in the movie, and, and it's sort of a, a plot point uh, for these characters that they wrote in, in college, and... and- you know, they sent me a script. I read through it, uh, prepared a sample, sent it over, and you know, I don't know how many other uh, writers they were talking to, but mine was the one that you know they thought. I think that got closest to what they were looking for, and so at that point, I got to uh, work with Paul uh, Feig and Katie Dippold uh, a little bit. They they critiqued my proposal and then looked at my sample chapters and gave me notes on what they thought the the book should be and yeah so then, then, then we were off running and at the same time they were also started filming for the movie
1: awesome so now um, let, let's start at the beginning of the book here now you tell me if you if we get into anything that touches too much into the movie or anything like that that you don't want to go into further um, the, the first little bit of the book is all about the the backstories for Aaron and Abby uh, mm-hmm. tremendous I mean tremendous hook right off the bat you know full visualization you capture Melissa McCarthy's you you capture her spirit very well in the book by the way um, what was it like how much freedom did you did you have with their backstories as children or was that something that was kind of preset that you just kind of molded a little bit?
0: yeah it was it was really fun because they had there were a couple of lines about their childhood in the movie you know it, it's not really it's not dramatized in the movie but they do talk about it at least in the script that I read you know that may change in the final final movie that comes out but it was it was in there a little bit and And then they said, "Okay, here we have a couple of lines, you know. Do the first seventy pages of the book as their childhoods." And I said, "Well, what happened, you know?" And they were like, "Well, who who knows?" So I, you know, the only the only uh, guidance that I really had was I said, "You know, where did they go to?" School at you know the, so we knew they went to the University of Michigan, but they didn't know where they grew up or anything about their backstories really. Um, besides that, Aaron had seen a ghost, so I got to sort of pencil in all of that backstory that you see in the book, which is uh, which is their you know their parents and and them actually meeting for the first time which was pretty cool because again that was stuff that uh, you know is you know is now sort of canon but it was also stuff that they allowed me to to work on and and create and then again like i said we had uh some some feedback loop going with sony and then uh primarily with with paul Feig. um uh, On the final uh, or on a rough draft of the book Um, you know he looked at it and and was able to say okay no the characters wouldn't say this they wouldn't do this but it was it was very gracious on on Paul and Katie's part to let someone else play around with their characters like this because you know they didn't have all of that fleshed out and and it was yeah it was it was a really cool opportunity and what what I constantly say is it's it's sort of like you wanted to know how you know Peter Bankman and Ray Stantz and Egon met in college you wanted to what were they like you know what were their childhoods like you don't even know if they have you know siblings or parents or anything so Uh, This was a a real chance to go into a backstory and create one that, that wasn't there before.
1: Well, I think it definitely adds any any critic out there that, that might be having to listen to this episode uh, knows I'm very adamant in, in my love for the reboot. I, I just had a baby girl. You know, I want her to grow up with the same heroes that, you know, that I had growing up. And, and I hope she runs around with a little proton pack and, and gets the full Ghostbusters universe that, that we never got after the 80s. Um, but I want them to to pick up this book and read it. And if you can't get behind the reboot after reading this book and the backstory, that there's something wrong. You've already ruined your childhood. Paul Feig and Kate, they're not doing it for you. You've, you're well on your way of ruining your childhood <clears throat> if you can't get excited, especially after reading Ghost From Our Past.
0: Um, Well, yeah, I I had someone who was not really enthused about the reboot pick the book up to, um, probably to criticize it or whatnot, and they they finished it and said, hey, you know what, if the movie is anything like this, uh, there might be some hope. I said, well, yeah, so... You know, once you get to know the characters and I I don't see how you can't, you know, not be for it. I understand it's not it's not the same thing that you grew up with. But again, it's I didn't write this for myself, you know, 30 years ago. I wrote it for kids today. And, you know, I have I have nieces and nephews that are, uh, you know, that are looking forward to this. And so, you know, I wrote this for them.
1: Right on, so now what was it like? Because uh, you introduce Erin first, we get her backstory, and then you introduce Abby's backstory. And by the way, love the pop culture references that went into the book. I love when Abby goes back to Detroit and stays with her uncle and aunt. Uh, she's hanging out on the, <laughs> rapping with a someone we might be familiar with today, by the name of Marshall. It never goes into more detail than that, but uh, <laughs> awesome little things like that Abby laughing out loud, which was tremendous. But what was it like bouncing back and forth between the two? Because it would seem like page by page, it would be a different, a different one of the two speaking, and then sometimes it would go line by line, and this would bleed all the way into Kevin towards the towards the end.
0: Yeah, I try. I tried to. Create a different voice for each one of them, and again, I hadn't seen the movie, so the voice was based on what I imagined those actors doing with the script. So it, that's really what happened uh, was was me trying to capture that, and then again, I got the feedback from Paul and Katie saying, "Hey, they would say this, they wouldn't say this, so and so." Uh, would be more into this than that and you know it just really went from 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 all from the script and from the guidance that I got Uh, but I really tried to develop them as separate characters uh, with uh, with very you know distinct voices and hopefully carry it through the book, somewhat, where they're both talking at the same time, but you kind of get an idea that that one character may have said something and, and another may have cut in uh, at some point. Uh, the joke is uh, in there that they were, you know, typing. They traded off the computer line by line, sometimes uh, word by word, even <laughs> as they were writing this uh, in a, in a, a surge uh, fueled or Mountain Dew fueled uh, a frenzy in the library so it it really it really just yeah it just flows just from from all from the the characters in the script.
1: Awesome I do like the idea of a Surge fueled friendly uh, versus a Mountain (laughs) Dew. However I just introduced my 16 year old son to Surge. I'd found it at a a local gas station. Didn't even know they had I mean, hell, they might have had it since you know, since the '90s. I don't know how long they had it in the back room, but I bought an entire case, and he's like, "You're crazy," and I'm like, "No, I was like, oh I've been this goodness. since the '90s. I was like, this is the best stuff ever."
0: Oh my goodness! Yeah, Serge was was insane. I, did it taste like he thought it?
1: Like... Oh yeah, it, it was everything I remembered him more.
0: Wow. So. Yeah, that was that was that was basically. You know, wasn't that sort of like when you would just hit up all of the, all of, all of the fountain drinks at once and create a, a suicide, uh, the, the Pepsi and the 7-Up and everything in your drink? And, you got to throw the orange uh, crud crud in, make, in there at the end to top it off yeah it would just make the most foul creation i just remember i had this idea that surge was like it's like you like found a way to put all of the drinks together and you put all the caffeine in it that you could and yeah why isn't it a thing again it should be
1: so now uh What were some of the things that you used on, on the paranormal I know a lot of the um, a lot of the places that you mentioned were physical places, the Stanley Hotel, the research center mm-hmm. in New York. All these are actual, you know, paranormal research facilities or haunted places. And then you go into the the characters. Um, Heiss or Heiss, however you would say his name, who was a hunter now. I know he has a tie-in in the movie, but we won't get into mm-hmm. that uh i'm I'm going to assume that most of the people that you mentioned outside of the presidents and things like that were all fictional characters were these people you made up or was there did you get direction from from ghost corpse or sony to hey we need this to go through
0: No, I didn't. I didn't have any direction on it. Uh, it, That was that was all stuff. A lot of the ghost hunters in the book uh, were real ghost hunters. Uh, You know, we go into um, Harry Price, uh, Harry Houdini, uh, William James. Henry Sidgwick the ghost club all of that stuff was was all real and I, I did editorialize a little bit uh, sort of fictionalize their stuff a little bit just to make it more entertaining or to play up the idea that they were bigger ghost hunters than they were but it there's a lot of there's a lot of truth in that and like you said there's a lot of truth behind a lot of the the real life haunted places like the Stanley Hotel um which is uh Someplace that I haven't been, but was uh, the basis for Stephen King's *The Shining*. So, you know, there's a lot of a lot of real stuff in the book, and I think you're gonna have a hard time telling what's real from what's fake. Uh, it's just. And that was kind of my idea. Um, you know, like I said, there's a, there's one character called uh, Vernon Heiss, who is a, who wrote a paranormal taxonomy um, that included something called the Occult Manifestation Index, uh, which has different types of ghosts ranked on there. So this is sort of the beginnings of the class system, where you get the class one ghosts, the class two ghosts. And and so there's some stuff in there that's, that's clearly fake but then there's some stuff that's sort of a gray area and and one of the things that you might find fun is uh, looking up some of the stuff in the bibliography and seeing if it's a real or fake book and I tried to blur the lines as much as possible because uh, if you type some of this stuff in on Goodreads or Amazon you you might come across an old copy of some of these books And it might be real and it might not be. Um, So I I sort of extended the book into real life to sort of blur those lines.
1: Yeah, I know I found myself a lot of times I would would look up from my phone because I had it on my Kindle. So I would look up from my phone and I would pull up Google real quick and I would type it in and I was like, okay. because I knew a lot of the guys and I know a lot of the paranormal history. So I knew there's mm-hmm. a lot of things in there that were, were true or, or real in the paranormal sense. And then there were a lot of things like, I'm like, well, I was like, it makes sense. I was like, the, you know, the New York place is real and I could never find the Vernon the Heist. And that was when I figured, okay, I was, that has to be one that I knew was probably non-existent. Um, but yeah, totally fascinating. You, you did a great job blurring the lines. Um, the Kemp's Spectral Field Guide. Was was this again your your entire brainchild?
0: Yeah, yeah. What the one thing that you note know, that I got back from Paul and Katie was, um, they said that they didn't want any of the original you know, Tobin's spirit guide or any of the original stuff in there. And I had done a lot of research into, you know, what, what was all in, in the original movies and animated universe and everything too. So that I knew what was all in there. And I was like, okay, uh, we'll have our version of Tobin's. And they said, no, we want to have, you know, completely different stuff. And so that's where I got the idea to do, uh, there's, uh, something called the Kemp's spectral field guide. There's the heist guide to frightful, entities Um, you know there's a couple of different books that that are sort of this movie's version of, of the Tobin spirit guide and and yeah and that was that was all something that I was able to sort of work up for the book and and just put my own spin on that because they had not had not had any of this stuff in the movie so so if you go see the movie you won't hear them mention kim's spectral field guide or anything but um but it was yeah it was something that i was able to to create and and you know get the everything goes through sony then to get the approval is this okay to do is this okay and and it goes through you know ghost core so so it, it it does go up the chain like you're saying but but it was all stuff that i was able to create
1: so, so let me ask you this, you, or do you have any intentions on uh, doing a larger version of the Spectral Field God, if the universe continues to expand and the, and the movie takes off like most of us think it will?
0: Oh, uh, you know, at, at the end of this book, we actually tease a, a sequel to Ghosts from Our Past. Uh, but, you know, one of the things that—it it, it was interesting I because— we got the Tobin Spirit Guide, and it's it was such a, I was a little worried ahead of time. I was like, what if there's overlap between the Tobin Spirit Guide and this book? And it ended up being that they were completely different books, you know, set in completely different universes. Uh, there's a little bit of overlap in terms of the same classification system, one through seven. And you also have uh, Cthulhu appears in both of the new Tobin spirit guide and it goes from Our past. Uh, but yeah, there's, there's a lot of stuff here to be expanded on still. I think um, whether it's a sequel, whether it's actually putting out a Kim spectral field guide, uh, you know, I right now I'm just, you know, I'm just excited to see the film, uh, which I haven't seen yet and see how everything that, you know, I read in the script comes to life on the screen and to see, you know, what changed between the script and they do a lot of uh, uh ad-libbing and uh, stuff on paul Feig movies so uh you know it was it was it's going to be very different i think than than the script that i read uh which is which is i think it's going to be great though
1: awesome so now uh um, out, out of the four new Ghostbusters who who did you find yourself relating to more as you read this uh obviously you were you were with aaron and and abby a little more than than patty and holtzman but who do you see yourself relating to more as this movie comes out or who do you think will be your favorite character
0: uh i think the one that i related to more was probably patty Um, she's uh, played by Leslie Jones and she's sort of the outsider that comes in and looks at these uh, looks at Abby and Aaron and Holtzman like they are kind of crazy and that's probably what I would do too in the same situation Um, not necessarily crazy but just say well you guys are talking way over my head and and you know, Patty does bring a lot of stuff to the table. I think, uh, which we haven't really glimpsed in the trailers so much. But I, once you see the movie, uh, you'll see that she brings a lot, a lot to the team. And yeah, I, so I think I think I think Leslie Jones really is going to be one of the standouts. Though I heard from you know the pre the test uh, the tests that they did that that she got some of the biggest laughs in the movie. Which is which is saying a lot because you have a movie with Kristen Wiig and Melissa McCarthy in it, who um, have have starred in many. and you know are are some of the top comedians working today. So, so I think I think she's really going to be the breakout. Um, I'm, I'm also looking forward to seeing Chris Hemsworth play Kevin because I saw the the new uh, National Lampoon's Vacation movie with Chris Hemsworth in it, and I thought he was hilarious in that. And you know, no matter what you think of the whole film, he was he was great. And I think that he's going to be really funny in this. He was—he was one of my favorites to write in the book, just because his character is it just says some really outrageous stuff.
1: Yeah, that that was one about. It was another part I laughed out loud is when you go in there and you got Aaron over his shoulder and uh, how hilarious <laughs> that, he's, that he's pinning the whole thing out like that. Uh, would love to see the sequel to the book. Of course, you know I'm I'm reading towards the end of it. And I know it's going to leave off on a big cliffhanger, so I'm flipping through my phone as fast as possible and I read through it. Of course, it gets right there to the end and it just cuts off. We blank blank blank, and I'm like, no, no. I was like, I just need two more sentences. Uh, so I really, really hope you get to, to pin the sequel to that. That would be excellent. Uh, do you have anything else in the works that we should be on the lookout for coming up?
0: Uh, now, um, <laughs> uh, right now I'm actually writing a, a serialized novel. That's a parody of The Great Gatsby, and it's called Catsby. That's with a C. And it's about a, a, uh, a cosplayer uh, who is in a cat costume uh, in place of uh, Jay Gatsby and I'm I'm serializing that right now on a Wattpad uh, there's a link to it on my website uh, if you just well if you just type in Catsby on Wattpad to find it but that's something that I'm doing right now it's kind of it's so uh, it's it's very, very different. I'm, I'm trying to think if there are any Ghostbusters references in there. I don't think so, but I think there are Ghostbusters references in in The Day of the Donald, though, uh, which is the Donald Trump book, uh, because I was, I was writing them about roughly the same time. And while I was editing Ghost from our Past, I was writing The Day of the Donald. And it was uh, a little bit of it bled over <laughs> into the other one so so you'll be able to spot some Ghostbusters references in there
1: nice i will definitely be looking forward to that and uh there were a couple other pop culture references in ghost for a pastor of course the spider-man iconic iconic line with with great you know responsibility Where with the whole Spider-Man line. There was a good Star Wars reference uh, in there, and of course the Eminem reference. We mentioned it, and as well as a Hot sea reference to to any Ghostbuster fan who knows anything about Ecto Cooler. Of course, it's a Hot sea product. Um, mm-hmm. So, last thing I got for you, then I'll let you put yourself over. Tell everybody where they can interact. Out of the original Ghostbusters, who was your favorite?
0: The original Ghostbusters. My favorite was Peter Venkman. And I was, as a kid, I was not cool like that, I guess you could say. I thought I was. <laughs> I, was I was more of probably an Egon um, or a Ray. And and I, but I wanted to be you know Peter Vinkman. I think a lot of kids wanted to be Peter Vinkman, he was just really cool. And now, when you grow up and you watch the movie again, you go, I don't know if he was cool, he was uh, he could be a little creepy at times. <laughs> um, you know, showing up at uh, his girlfriend's apartment with uh, uh was it Thorazine or whatever, <laughs> I was like, well. Uh, But, yeah, but I I really was much more of an Egon-type character myself, Uh, although I I would have never admitted it at the time. I was like, Egon, he's not cool, you know. But now I I watch it again and I go, he's got some of the the best lines, though, you know, about uh, the molds and spores and funguses and even said, print is dead you know 20 years before anybody else was saying that so so this guy this guy was pretty cool on his own absolutely i was always a big harold
1: Ramos fan uh you know many many movies that he's done and and i was always the guy of course no one else wanted to be egon you know out on the playground so but i always found it a thrill <laughs> because he was my favorite ghostbuster so i gladly took up his mantle on the playground uh so andrew go ahead awesome. and awesome. tell everybody where your website where they can get hold of you if they want you know ask you questions or interact with you uh how would they go about doing so
0: uh, uh, my well, the website for the book Ghosts from Our Past is just ghostsfromourpast.com. So that's where you can go to read more about the book. You can watch a video uh, which has a clip of the book in the movie itself, uh, which is pretty cool. And, um, because I guess I, I didn't explain earlier in the interview that the book was actually written by Aaron and Abby while they were in college, and, uh, and this one that we've printed is supposedly the revised edition that they wrote after the events of the movie. So it's well, it's, it's it says it's on here that it's newly revised and somewhat updated. Uh, they didn't really make a whole lot of updates, <laughs> but. So, so that's where you can go to see that ghostfromourpast.com. Uh, if they want to, you know, get a hold of me, ask me questions, um, you know, they can go to, they can uh, follow me on Twitter at Andrew T Schaefer, and uh, if they want to know how to spell that. Uh, you know, that's S H uh, A F F E R is how you spell Schaefer. So it's Andrew T, as in Thomas Schaefer. And I also have a website at andrewshaefer.com. Awesome.
1: Andrew, we thank you so much for joining us here at the Bluegrass Ghostbusters and the Nerd Asylum Networks. Uh, Again, thank you for taking the time out with us, and we would love to have you on again, uh, maybe after I get a chance to read the Donald Trump book and we see how the election turns out, maybe we can uh, get a few laughs there as well. Again, thank you so much for being on the program.
0: Thank you for listening. Please like and subscribe. You are now leaving. The Power Bomb Nation